This is Father Dave Pavanka, and you're listening to Catholic Foodie. This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 121 of the Catholic Foodie, Hurricane Food. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today is August 30th. 2011. Yesterday marked the sixth anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, and just a few days ago, Hurricane Irene barreled up the eastern seaboard. Since hurricane season does not come to an end until November 30th, I thought it might be appropriate to talk about hurricane food today, especially in light of a tweet I received just the other day from Fred Kish. I'll tell you more about that in a bit. My friend Marcel Bienvenue wrote a great article about Katrina and a cook. I'll tell you about that too, and about two recipes. Oysters Lafitte and Shrimp and Grits, right here at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. And on top of all that, what do a fussy baby, a beautiful sunrise, and a Mary have in common? They're all tied to this week's Mary in the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> so all this right here today, folks. Stay tuned. But uh, as we start this episode, I want to thank our sponsor, DivineOffice.org. You will find all things Liturgy of the Hours at DivineOffice.org. Of course, the Liturgy of the Hours is the official prayer of the Church, and it is prayed several times a day by priests, religious, and laity all around the world. It is a treasure trove of grace and a rich education in prayer. If you have never prayed the Liturgy of the Hours, I encourage you to give it a try. And DivineOffice.org makes it very easy to do so. You will find the hours available there in text format and also in audio. You can subscribe to the podcast version or download the iPhone or iPad app. There's even an app for your iMac or MacBook. And now there are apps even for your Android and Nokia. (laughs) But the most important thing that you will find at divineoffice.org is a living community of prayer. So come join us in prayer at divineoffice.org. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. Just last week, as it became apparent that Hurricane Irene was planning to travel up the East Coast, Fred Kish sent me a message on Twitter asking if I had any food advice. He was looking for a good recipe to keep his mind off of Irene's impending visit. Unfortunately, I did not answer Fred right away. I was in the midst of my own preparations for a big event in our parish, and I didn't notice the tweet until later. So sorry about that, Fred. I hope that... uh, All is well with you and yours now that Irene is gone. But I have to say that Fred's question has stuck with me, and since we do still have another three months of hurricane season, it might be a good idea to think about food in a hurricane. When we talk about food in a hurricane, we're really talking about three phases, preparing for, surviving during, and enduring the aftermath. Truthfully, These phases are not mutually exclusive. There's some bleeding over the lines here. Still, let's start by talking about preparing for a hurricane. You know, hurricanes bring power outages. You could be without power for a few hours or even a few days. Or as we saw with Katrina, you could be without power for weeks. 
So you have to keep that in mind as you prepare for a hurricane. What are you going to do with the food that you already have on hand, perhaps in the fridge or the freezer? And what kind of foods are you going to purchase to ride out the hurricane? You know, Louisiana is known as the sportsman's paradise. I have friends who have hundreds of dollars worth of meat or fish in their freezers. Whether it's deer or grass-fed beef or bass or speckled trout or flounder or catfish, you want to protect your food assets. If you really do have a stockpile of meat or seafood in your freezers, then you really want to consider getting a generator or inviting the neighborhood over for a huge party before the storm. (laughs) I remember uh, for Katrina, as a matter of fact, that my father-in-law was particularly concerned about his wine cellar. You know, it's quite quite an investment in that cellar, and normally it's climate-controlled, but you can't do that without power. So fearing that he would lose power during Katrina, he purchased a generator ahead of time. In the end, that generator saved him tons of money. It actually it saved his investment because they ended up without power for over a week. Now, you know, that means no air conditioning. In August in South Louisiana, you talk about hot. I mean, that's unbearable just in the, the normal circumstances, but especially for a delicate, well-aged Cabernet or Bordeaux or a 1961 Chateau Latour. <laughs> so when Katrina hit, you know, we, we evacuated to Baton Rouge. And in retrospect, we really did not evacuate far enough away. But we were with a family, and uh, that made it all better. Actually, there were several families who were together, and I remember eating pretty well for the first several days. Uh, anticipating the loss of power for an extended period of time, Lots of folks who evacuated packed their freezers into ice chests. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, ice chests work only for so long. So we kept digging into those chests and pulling out steaks and roasts and catfish and bass. And I have to tell you, it was some good eating. (laughs) But thank God, really, thank God for propane grills and burners. You have to be careful, though. When you're cooking like that, if you cook more than you eat, then it has to go back into the ice chest. Unless, of course, you have a generator. But besides what's uh, already in your freezer, what do you need to buy when preparing for a hurricane? Well, bottled water, flashlights, batteries immediately come to mind. Ice for your ice chests. Filling up the gas tanks before the gas stations run out. Uh, Cash from the ATM. Those are the, the things, the first things I think of when I think about a hurricane approaching uh, anywhere in the Gulf. And, uh, oh, And then there's the required rations of beer and other adult beverages. You know, there's a reason why South Louisiana is known for throwing hurricane parties. But aside from all that, what about the food? You know, I recommend stocking up on food that will keep. Not junk food. It's easy, of course, to go and buy chips and and dip and and all of that. But um, and, and, And it's true that crackers will keep longer than bread. That is true. Uh, Of course, you know, you've got canned tuna. That comes to mind almost immediately because it doesn't have to be refrigerated. It's easy to eat, easy to prepare. Um, You could probably even stock an ice chest with a few days' worth of meat if you wanted to, but you have to keep it iced really well. Now, if you're evacuating to a place where you'll be able to cook, that's doable, right? Or even if you're staying put at home and riding out the storm. You know, there's nothing wrong with stockpiling or stocking up your ice chest as long as you have enough ice on hand. That's, that, that, that's fine. 
But please don't forget the paper plate. You know, washing dishes by hand in the dark is not fun. <laughs> now, here's some practical information on food safety from about.com that I found very helpful. Uh, you'll find a link to this information in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. This is on hurricanes and food safety. Uh, storms and other weather-related emergencies can lead to power outages that last anywhere from a few hours to several days. When refrigerators and freezers lose power, it doesn't take long for the temperatures inside to climb into what is called the food temperature danger zone, between 40 degrees and 140 degrees Fahrenheit, where harmful bacteria grow very quickly. In just a few hours, these bacteria can multiply to the point where eating the contaminated food can cause a serious case of food poisoning. Here are a few tips to help you prepare for a loss of power from severe weather, from a severe weather event, and what you can do afterward to keep your food safe. Before a weather emergency. If you have advanced warning of a weather emergency that could cause a power outage, you should make preparations to ensure the food in your fridge and freezer stay cold. If you do lose power, you're going to need a lot of ice to keep things cold. So if you have time, purchase dry ice or block ice to use in your fridge, freezer, or coolers. 50 pounds of dry ice will keep an 18-cubit-foot freezer cold for up to 48 hours. Just remember that every time you open the freezer, you let cold air out and warm air in, which will shorten that time significantly. If you can't get your hands on that much block ice or dry ice, you're going to have to make do with what you have. In addition to freezing gel packs and making ice cubes, fill plastic bottles with water and freeze them too. If the power goes out, those frozen bottles can be used as a cold source to keep food cold in the fridge, freezer, or in insulated coolers. Also, in the event of flooding, tap water can become contaminated, so the more bottled water you have set aside beforehand, the better. Please note, though, that water will expand by up to 10% when it freezes, so make sure to leave room in the bottles to allow for this. Otherwise, they could burst. If you have any fresh meat or poultry in the fridge, you can freeze them as well. They'll stay fresh longer should you lose power for more than, a several, for more than several hours. And uh, keep food items clustered together in the freezer, too. They'll stay colder longer that way. You can even freeze fresh milk, but be forewarned that it won't have the same mouth feel when it thaws, as freezing and thawing can give milk a slightly grainy texture. You'll notice this less with skim and low-fat milks than with whole milks. And as with water, remember to allow for expansion when freezing milk. Now, after a weather emergency... You want to keep your refrigerator and freezer doors closed as much as possible to maintain the cold temperature. This goes for portable coolers, too. For more details, there's a link in the show notes you can go to that will give you some tips on keeping your cooler cool. Also, food stored in your fridge will only stay cold for about four hours, less if the door has been opened. After that, perishable foods such as meat, poultry, fish, Seafood, dairy, and deli items should either be cooked, consumed, or thrown away. Now, you can visually inspect frozen food to determine its safety. If you see ice crystals, it's still safe to eat. Once food has thawed, however, you have four hours to cook it, eat it, or throw it away. Don't refreeze it. 
Note also that the bacteria that cause food poisoning don't change the appearance, the smell, or taste of foods they contaminate. So don't rely on your senses to judge whether food is safe or not. Keep in mind that one of the mantras of the food service industry is this, when in doubt, throw it out. So that comes from about.com. It's hurricanes and food safety. There will be a link to this information and more information besides in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. My friend uh, Marcel Bienvenu, who's a food writer, journalist, and cookbook writer, just published an article last week in the Times-Picayune, which is New Orleans' local paper, about a determined cook who is hand-copying her recipes that she recovered after Hurricane Katrina. I found this story absolutely fascinating, and I want to share it with you. They faced a grueling evacuation the next day, so on August 27, 2005, Michelle Montalbano and her family prepared and enjoyed one of their favorite meals, shrimp and grits, made from a recipe from Crook's Corner in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Although they didn't know it, that was the last meal at their Chalmette home, located three blocks from the 40, from the 40 Arpent Canal, and the last day her recipe collection, painstakingly curated over generations, would be intact. My mom, stepdad, our cat, and I packed and left before dawn on Sunday, August 28th, Montalbano said. My mom still laments the dinner leftovers we stashed in the refrigerator. Michelle and her family were in Dallas when a family friend informed them that only the chimney of their home was visible above the floodwaters. In the fall, they set up a home in Broussard near Lafayette, Louisiana, which is where Michelle's recipe rescue mission started. When I made the first trip back to the house about a month after Katrina, I was so overwhelmed I couldn't think of what to rescue, said Montalbano, who now lives in Mandeville, Louisiana. But when I returned in November, I dumped all my recipe file folders into a large black garbage bag and hauled them back to Broussard. I left the store-bought cookbooks behind as they were still wet and had sprouted noxious-looking mushrooms. I figured I could replace the books at a later time. Back in Broussard, Michelle strung rope across the little kitchen, bought some wooden clothespins, and started hanging up all the recipes to dry. The odor was awful. My stepdad lost his sense of smell years before as a result of a surgical procedure, so he didn't mind. As the recipes dried, I separated them into big manila envelopes by categories, poultry, beef, seafood, and so on. Mom said that she would type the recipes maybe five to ten per day. Well, that sounded pretty good, but the reality was that as the five-year anniversary approached, I realized she had typed maybe a total of five recipes, and the extra bedroom where the recipes were stored smelled of molded paper. So I just decided to start handwriting the recipes. I'm a terrible typist. 
The recipe transcription is a work of patience and diligence. Through the years, the cooks and the family made notes on the original recipes. For example, if the recipe called for one clove garlic, minced, there's a note. We always use two or three times this amount. In another recipe, two ounces of chili powder is called for and a note saying, we use a chili powder that we get from Pinzi's Spice Company, and it's serious stuff. And so her project continues. She now has six large notebooks filled by categories, soup, beef, poultry, pork, shrimp, crabs, and crawfish, oysters, fish. And it's still working, and she's still working on desserts. I have to separate the desserts into subcategories like pies, cakes, cookies, and so on. And I'm also working on vegetables, sides, sauces, marinades, and dressings. Appetizers are still pretty screwed up, but I'm working on them. Then I'll have to do a master index, she laughed. (laughs) And what happened to all the molded recipes? I sent them to a friend from Chalmette who now lives in Tennessee so that she can go through them for anything she wanted, Maltabano said. When she visited me, she went through the notebooks and we photocopied whatever she wanted. I'm happy to share with anyone, but this project has been done mostly for me. There wasn't much that I could save from my home in Chalmette, but some of the best memories of my life have come out of the kitchen, and these recipes symbolize those good times. Michelle continues to look for recipes she can't locate, For example, she would love to know if anyone has a recipe or one close to it for the custard pie at the old McKenzie's. The crust was awful, but that didn't stop me from eating all the filling in two sittings, she said. (laughs) Asked to um, find some recipes to share with readers, Montalbano selected my absolute last meal favorites (laughs) from each notebook and ended up with 33 dishes. Then I went through the list and asked myself, which ones would have been lost forever had I not tackled this project, she said. And I'm down to eight or nine. So here are some of the saved recipe highlights. And she does leave uh, four, I believe, four recipes here from uh, all the recipes that she has archived and handwritten uh, to save them from Katrina. So I think there's four that she puts in this uh, this article. I'm going to put a, a link to this article, by the way, in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. But I do want to share two recipes with you because, man, I saw these and, and just, oh, I got so hungry. <laughs> I just got so hungry. Uh, the first one I want to share with you is called Oysters Lafitte. Now, what's really cool, what I love about this, is that she puts notes in front of these recipes. kind of tells a story, you know. This is what she has to say about this, Oysters Lafitte. Uh, There used to be a little bar on a funny triangle of land on Canal Street called Joe's Jungle, Montalbano said. The land now is a little pedestrian park leading to the Doubletree or the Windsor Court Hotels. My biological father spent a great deal of time there with his friends. That bunch sure could cook. I've had this recipe and another for barbecue shrimp for about 40 years now, and there would have been no way to recover it without drying out the flood-damaged papers. So this is it, the recipe for oysters Lafitte. Here are the ingredients. Four tablespoons of butter, two cups of chopped mushrooms, 
one cup of chopped cooked shrimp, a quarter cup of green onions, a quarter cup of snipped parsley, one clove of garlic minced, two dozen fresh oysters on the half shell, a half a cup of dry white wine, a half a teaspoon of salt, a dash of cayenne, one cup of cream, a quarter cup of all-purpose flour, rock salt, a third cup fine dried breadcrumbs, two tablespoons of melted butter, and an eighth of a teaspoon of paprika. Here are the instructions. In a skillet, melt the butter, add the mushrooms, the shrimp, the onions, the parsley, and the garlic, and cook for about a minute. Drain the oysters, reserving the liquid, and add enough water, if need be, to, uh, to make it a, a three-quarter cup. Then you add the oyster liquid, the wine, the salt, and the cayenne to the skillet. Bring it to a boil and simmer for one minute. Combine the cream and the flour and stir that into a mixture in the skillet, stirring constantly until thickened and bubbly. Now arrange the oyster shells on a bed of rock salt in a shallow baking pan. Place one or two oysters in each shell. Spoon about two teaspoons of the sauce over each oyster. Combine the breadcrumbs with the melted butter and sprinkle over the top of the oysters and bake at 450 for 10 minutes. Oh, my goodness. We've never made that before, but I tell you what, <laughs> with those months coming up now that start with a, that end with an R, you know, like September, October, November, December, those are good months for oysters. So uh, I think I'm going to have to talk to my lovely wife, Char, and see if we can't uh, cook us up some oysters Lafitte. It sounds yummy. Now, another one, one of my favorite dishes, I love shrimp and grits. I absolutely love shrimp and grits. And uh, matter of fact, I had shrimp and grits about a year ago or so um, with uh, my wife, Char. We, were, we, we met Lisa Hindi and her parents at NOLA, NOLA restaurant, NOLA's in New Orleans, one of Chef Emerald's restaurants in New Orleans. Uh, she was here for the summer. Actually, she was, she was flying out. Lisa was flying out of New Orleans. And so we uh, went down there and met with her and had lunch before her flight. And uh, that was just such a, a delight to, to, to be with her, first of all. But secondly, I mean, the shrimp and grits at NOLA was just slap your mama good. I mean, that's good stuff. Now, I've not tried this recipe, but I want to give it to you. This is from Crook's Corner in North Carolina. And this is the one that, um, that Michelle Montalbano was putting together, you know, rescued from Katrina, and is, is handwriting out in her notebooks. Uh, this is what she says about it first, because with the, with the anniversary of Katrina upon us, uh, Michelle and her family will be preparing the shrimp and grits just as they have done every year since Katrina. And this is what um, uh, Michelle said. She said the recipe appeared in Southern Living at some point prior to Katrina and was recovered by a friend from her files. And she said that they always double this recipe. All right, so they always double it. This is for four servings of shrimp and grits. Two cups of water, one 14-ounce can of chicken broth, three-quarter cup half and half, three-quarter teaspoon of salt, one cup regular grits, three-quarter cup shredded cheddar cheese, quarter cup of grated Parmesan cheese, uh, two tablespoons of butter, a half a teaspoon of hot sauce, a quarter teaspoon of white pepper, three bacon slices, 
one pound medium-sized shrimp peeled and deveined, a quarter teaspoon of black pepper, an eighth of a teaspoon of salt, a quarter cup of all-purpose flour, one cup of sliced mushrooms, half a cup chopped green beans, I'm sorry, green onions, I have green beans on my brain for another reason, green onions, two garlic cloves minced, a half a cup of low-sodium fat-free chicken broth, two tablespoons of fresh lemon juice, and a quarter teaspoon of hot sauce, and some lemon wedges. Now here's how you do it. You bring the water, the broth, half and half, and salt to a boil in a medium saucepan. Gradually whisk in the grits. Reduce the heat and simmer, stirring occasionally 10 minutes or until thickened. You add the cheddar cheese, the parmesan, the butter, the hot sauce, the white pepper, and you keep it warm. Cook the bacon in a large skillet until crisp. Remove the bacon, drain on paper towels, reserving a teaspoon of the drippings in the skillet, and then you crumble the bacon. Sprinkle shrimp with pepper and salt and dredge in flour. Saute the mushrooms and hot drippings in the skillet uh, uh, five minutes or until tender. Add green onions and saute for two minutes. Add the shrimp and garlic and saute for two minutes or until the shrimp are lightly brown. Uh, stir in the, the chicken broth, the lemon juice, the hot sauce, and cook for two more minutes, stirring to loosen particles from the bottom of the skillet. And then you serve the shrimp mixture over the hot cheese grits. You top it with crumbled bacon and serve with lemon wedges. And then after you take your first bite, you turn and you slap your mama because it's that good. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't, don't do that. You'll get in trouble. You'll get sent to your room. It'd be bad. Just don't, don't slap her. But you know what I'm talking about. Good stuff, folks. Shrimp and grits. Um, two fantastic recipes here. I will put the link to this article and the other recipes that, that uh, Michelle shares with us in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. Hi, I'm Beauty. And I'm Ray. And, and this is, is Mary in, in the, the kitchen, kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> I held his hot little body close to mine, making incoherent sounds and trying to keep him quiet. The fact that I hadn't slept most of the night didn't really matter because at last he was still. I was propped on the couch in a way that kept him comfortable and allowed me to doze a bit on and off. I heard my husband get up and go to the bathroom to get ready early in the morning. I opened my eyes and felt my body struggling to wake up, even as it protested its lack of sleep the night before. And then I saw it. Through the window in the kitchen, streaks of pink paralleled the horizon, the black around them lightening progressively, almost so I couldn't notice except by the effect of it. As I watched the sunrise, I felt a part of me soar. It was the part of me that tries to remember how short these years are with little ones, though the nights can be very, very long. As I watched the night yield to the day and bathe my kitchen in tentative daylight, I wondered how many times Mary had had a night like I just did. Surely Jesus had some sleepless nights when he was a baby, and his mother would have been the one to walk him and rock him and hold him. Did she try to keep the noise away from Joseph's sleeping quarters, as I do, knowing that he had to get up and go to work the next day regardless of the sleep he did or didn't get? 
Did she say prayers for special intentions like I do, or consider the things that always seem to be forgotten in the busy of the daylight hours? Were there other women who stepped up the next day, as there were for me, to take charge of her kitchen and her family so she could grab an hour or two of rest? What tune did her soul sing when it was exhausted and worn out and still faced with cleaning the kitchen and making meals? In the middle of the night, when I long for daylight to rescue me, I often ask Mary these things. All right, I admit it. I even scream them in her direction. Motherhood isn't easy, and a lot of times the fun isn't enjoyable. The payoff, though, can be eternally rewarding if only I follow Mary's lead and hold tight to her son's hand. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was Sarah Reinhardt, folks. You can find more of Sarah's work, including her recently published Advent book, Welcome Baby Jesus, over at snoringscholar.com. A big thank you to L'Angelus for allowing us to use their Ave Maria in the show. You can find L'Angelus at CajunRecords.com. And this brings us to the end of the show, folks. I certainly hope that you've enjoyed it. I'm looking for voice feedback from, uh, well, from you. (laughs) I want to hear from you. How does food meet faith in your life? You can call in your voice feedback by dialing 985-635-4974. That's 985-635-4974. You can call that number day or night. Just leave a message, and I'll be able to play that on the show. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Until then, you might want to check out The Catholic Foodie on Facebook at facebook.com slash catholicfoodie. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash catholicfoodie. And don't forget to check out the new Catholic Foodie website at new.catholicfoodie.com. And until next time, bon appétit.